All right, we're back and quitting this week. We are the Star Destroyers, or you know what we should have been is we should have been uh, Biff and Ted's Excellent Adventure, uh, which is this old podcast with Ted Goods or Ted Goods or whatever his name is now. Um, but either way, we're back and Quentin. I would ask you how you're doing, but we don't have time for it. This is the first, I think this is the first episode that we've recorded in Black History Month, and that's why we got to open up, we got to talk about the most important man in wrestling, Cody Rhodes. Quentin, how you doing tonight? I'm great. Um, I think I've actually had my whitest moment in my existence in the la- in, in recent memory. I went to Barnes & Noble and Starbucks today. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, just really stepping out of my comfort. No, I'm kidding, but <laughs> that's all I've done today. <laughs> Went to Barnes and Noble and Starbucks, and uh, yeah, felt weird being. Like, it's actually the first time I've been to Barnes and Noble in my adult life. Like, yeah, I remember. Be, I remember going there as a kid at some point. Obviously, you're a kid, and like in a bookstore, you're kind of bored by it and stuff like that. But then my first time going, and I, like I'm not gonna lie, but I, I went there to go look at manga. And I want to get a couple of things, but it was like, wow, like I've actually, I've never actually like been inside a Barnes and Noble. And it was like, it was a pretty cool experience. I'm not, I, I, hopefully I don't become a, uh, someone that stays in there all day and does whatever, even though it does not, it does not, it's not the worst thing in the world, but yeah, just, right. uh, really talking to my inner whiteness and went to Barnes and Noble and Starbucks today. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's, uh basic quentin summer or winter i guess uh, yeah <laughs> is, the, is the the mood right now it's fine um hey you know it's like barnes and noble the bookstore is just like the privatizing of uh, of the library basically that's why they they put the couches in there and they let people feel like they're allowed to hang out in there right you know definitely basically what it is for, for sure for, for sure and then it's like i didn't really like 
I don't pay attention to Barnes and Noble. So when I walked in and the first thing I see is sort of like a quasi Starbucks, I'm like, oh, okay. Like that makes sense. I don't think it was actually a Starbucks. Maybe it is. I don't know. With like a full on coffee, like coffee shop set up thing in there too. And I'm like, it makes sense. I'm just like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I mentioned it. Cody Rhodes, big deal, uh, taken off from AEW. Um, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking uh, about uh, a, a mocking nickname for Cody Rhodes a little bit for a second. I don't know why it got in my head, but I was thinking about it. I was like, you know how Jim Cornette has these really bad nicknames for all the wrestlers that he uses that are like kind of offensive and all that stuff. Um, and it took me it took me about two minutes or so. I came up with uh, throaty loads. Um, and I'm just like, I could do Jim Cornette's job. I could easily uh, do what he does. But yeah, um, Cody leaving AEW. What do you think, Quentin? How important is this? Biggest news of all time? Uh... I mean, I think it's pretty important if you look at it from the aspect of like, Cody is a proven draw. And Cody has been uh, very useful in, estab- in establishing certain things on television, whether that's been certain acts or the TNT title. So from that aspect, that's a loss. Um, do I feel like it's going to be a long-term noticeable gap? I don't think so because you have CM Punk there now. You have Brian Danielson there now. So like, I don't think long-term is going to be this noticeable gap. Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, and whoever like steps up in the future, I feel like it all fill the void MJF obviously that can fill the void that Cody Rose leaves in regards to certain things and prestige and approaches and thoughts on and thoughts on and, and on wrestling I think that AEW is at a healthy point now and this and I feel this way about Kenny Omega too where when you take these guys off television it doesn't feel like we're missing that much which is a good thing that should be viewed as a good thing. It shouldn't be viewed as anything that's an indictment on Cody Rhodes. His role was to help develop AEW. And it's great that AEW is to a point where he can be off TV or he can be gone from the company. And it might not feel like there's all this stuff missing from the product in his absence or Kenny's absence. Cody leaving, yeah. I think, is a, Cody leaving, I think, is a little weird because I feel like if the goal is to go back to WWE, I think his ceiling there is super low. Um, and I think it depends on what the job offer is. I've been seeing something about stuff about NXT and him coming to, and him getting the book of NXT. I'm not sure if that stuff is substantiated or not. I'm not sure if like there's a main roster run in the books for him. And it's like, to me, the only thing there is Cody is Cody versus Reigns. Like that, that's that's about it. I think that Cody versus Reigns is the only thing that's there, really. I don't know what their plans would be for him, and if they'd even view him as a top act, even though if he even even though he's gone and uh, made himself that kind of name in his time away from WWE. So I just don't know what's, what he's looking for in terms of what he wants out of wrestling at this point. AW has been a, has been a proven success. Barring catastrophe, is going to remain a success and be a staple in American wrestling for the net for the next however many years. Like hope, like again, hoping it to happen, hoping that that happens. But 
from the Cody aspect, I just don't really know what he wants from wrestling. I think I've seen stuff that he was losing booking booking power in AEW, and that's a little weird to me. And that and that could be a bit concerning. And obviously, AEW we shouldn't be viewing it as this miracle wonderland where everyone's happy and everyone's fulfilled. It's wrestling. There's politics. People are gonna people are gonna get annoyed and frustrated just like any workplace environment. It happens. And yeah, to me, just the biggest thing is I don't know what the next step is for Cody. I think AEW will be fine without him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I threw it out there a while back as kind of just a random thought, but I still honestly think that it's it's honestly like not too far off. Um, because the the conversation about percentages of the profit that go towards the workers or the athletes uh, in professional wrestling and UFC, MMA, I guess primarily just UFC, not all MMA, um, being so skewed compared to other sports. And uh, one time I, I thought, you know, like Tony Khan might get to the point where he's paying, you know, something comparable to football or baseball or basketball to the athletes, but not um, like because he starts paying them more, but because he spreads it across so many wrestlers. Like Tony is signing so many wrestlers and they're still all theoretically getting paid so low that he could end up in that 50%, you know, going towards the workers level, but it's because he's got so many wrestlers. And that speaks to AEW, as you said, being such a, it's an, it's an opposite or not an opposite, but it's an counter tact to WWE for years. People have talked about WWE does not draw based on stars. WWE draws based on a brand. Um, AEW has done a similar thing and insulated themselves from from being at the whims of stars. But instead of uh, it's the brand, it is that they're an ensemble of stars. AEW constantly has so many people that people have have talked about it constantly. Oh, they have so many people who don't even get work. So many people who don't do anything. People that don't make TV that are over the crowds, uh, you know, into them. They're wasting so many people's talent. And it's like, yes, as an ensemble roster aew has nobody who's a difference who's truly a big of enough difference maker that it uh that it that them leaving causes this huge noticeable difference the biggest stars in the company can leave and they can slot somebody instantly in who's if not exactly as over as close enough that it doesn't make a difference um and we're seeing that play out so like yeah rather than it be all about it's still a star driven business and people still watch and care about the wrestlers specifically because they're stars, but there's so many of them and they're so spread out and they're so diverse that like they can just interchange people in and out whenever they want. And AEW just keeps rolling on and it doesn't matter. Um, and so it is very, it's, it is it's quite unique and it was really smart of Tony Khan in a way he kind of saw the, you know, he saw the negatives and the positives of AE, of WWE, you know, the no one wrestler means that much to the company. And he found a way to kind of create the same thing, but not in such a negative way um, to where you have tons of wrestlers who are over, but none of them is like the end of the world. I think maybe C- you got a couple of CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Moxley, maybe. But even then, Moxley was gone for a while and it didn't feel like a big deal. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that there's any there's not any one star in the company who if they left, I think that, that it tanks the numbers. Um, and it's pretty impressive that they uh, that they did that. My one thought, and I haven't, you know, seen this anywhere, and there's plenty of rumors, and who knows, the truth may never come out, because at one point I saw a rumor that was like, you know, Brandy 
part of this leaving is is a big to do about Brandy. Then I saw the next rumor a little bit later saying Brandy is not involved in signing with WWE. You know, like all of that. So who knows? But one thing that did cross my mind when I did hear the rumor that you mentioned there, uh, Cody is losing booking power. That how much of it was Cody basically thinking, doing the calculus in his head and figuring if I'm going to just be told what to do, I might as well do it in the bigger company where more people see me and where I get paid more money. And that could be it. Like that would be the only reasoning. If he's not going to have the booking power, which was the point for him, the freedom and the ability to, to do his own thing. If I'm going to be miserable and just told what to do, I might as well do it. You know, like I said, in the company where maybe theoretically you get more eyes on you, more people actually watch you, um, more people know who you are and, uh, and it sounds like get paid more. So I think that that's a big part of it. I mean, I can understand that calculus, you know, and he was be happy to stay in AEW when he had some control and, and had some creative kind of you know, input. And then once he didn't, it's like, oh, OK, well, why am I going to stick around here and do the same thing that I was doing in WWE just for less money and less people watching? Um, so I could definitely understand that idea. Um, so, yeah, uh, that said, do you want to talk about last night's AEW a little bit? Um, I didn't, I didn't get to see, I didn't get to see much of it. I know that Punk, I know that Punk and MJF, um, that dog collar mask seems to be, seems to be confirmed. Uh, yes. but other, other, other than that, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see any, I didn't see anything. I'm not going to okay. be honest there. Okay. That's fine. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, Punk, I'll just talk about that. There is some, definitely some good stuff on the show. It's a decent show. I would say, check it out. Um, there's, you know, a few things to talk about coming out of it, especially, uh, Danielson and Lee Moriarty in the main event with Sammy and Darby, but definitely also some uh, some storyline stuff there. But uh, but that said, I mean, the Punk dog collar match, I'm very excited for that. I talked about Punk being back in professional wrestling, professional wrestling being back in general, and I, it does make me happy to see Punk coming back to professional wrestling in his first big, you know, feud, feud, storyline feud, and his first big gimmick match of a feud. He's going back to bringing back... Uh, Something that I've always thought of as Punk's, you know, Punk's signature gimmick match in the dog collar match. Um, I mentioned that on Twitter. I, I dug up the old tweet and, and sent it out there to say, hey, you know, this is awesome. But to me, it's cool because he talked about Piper. I, you didn't see the promo, I'm guessing. But uh, he talks about Piper in Portland. And that's uh, and that's what Darby's or not Darby. Uh, that's what MJF is, is going for. He wants to be Piper. Yeah. And uh, it's it's interesting because. Uh, because if you think about it, Punk's connection to the dog collar match has lineage to Piper in Portland or Portland in general. Because Punk kind of, I would say, became, to me, known as a dog collar wrestler in his feud with Raven. And Raven has the history dating back to Portland. So, you know, the dog collar match comes... Raven had a history of doing dog collar matches in ECW and, you know, probably coming from Portland as well where it was an overmatch type, um, especially coming from Piper. So you can see that lineage... And it's funny that Punk is referencing it there in that way, but not, you know, directly, but it is, you know, it's it's Punk's match and that lineage of the match goes through the history of Portland to to Punk. So uh, to me, as an old school wrestling nerd fan kind of guy, I love that um, because I, I can see that, you know, that connection. Um, and it really makes me happy to see again Punk back in professional wrestling. And when he is back, when he can actually do like, you know, wrestling style blood and guts matches, he brings back uh, something that I think of as, like I said, a signature kind of Punk match um so that was a that was uh, that made me happy um i'm going to assume that you also did not watch nxt 2.0 last or on tuesday i have not seen a single episode of nxt 2.0 
That has not been anything that I've uh, been interested in watching. I uh, I was interested to give it a, a check out because uh, the card looked decent on paper. Um, have you seen Tony D'Angelo? Do you know yes. who he is? I'm aware of who he is, yes. Do you know that he has a ponytail? I thought he just had, like, had slick back hair. Yeah, that's what I thought too because I've only ever seen him with a hat. But uh, he was wrestling in a match with Pete Dunne that was not just a steel cage match, but a weaponized steel cage match. Oh, lethal, uh, very, lock, lethal lockdown. Basically, yeah. It's a, it was it was definitely yeah closer to lethal. I was going to say uh, Clockwork Orange House of Fun, but lethal lockdown uh, is closer. That's, that's, that's a great pull. <laughs> yeah, but you know the Clockwork Orange House of Fun only has two sides, I think. So so technically, this was more like a lethal lockdown, yes. But uh, but yeah, he's wrestling Dunne, and uh, this is the first time I've ever seen him without the hat on. And uh, ponytail. I was kind of shocked. Um, that was not the only shocking look that I saw on the episode because I also saw Dolph Ziggler, and uh, yeah, he's he's kind of doing a Miami Vice take on Tanahashi, and it looks like fucking dog shit. Um, it's a uh, yeah, very, My, very Miami Miami Vice take take on Tanahashi is like <laughs> that's so accurate, but also like why would you do that? Yes, why would that be the choice that you would don't you go up to the barber and you say that to him? Uh, just, I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, but yeah, Pete Dunne, Tony D'Angelo in a weaponized steel cage match. Pretty, uh, whatever. Um, Carmelo Hayes and, and Cameron Grimes, uh, solid match. And an interesting note, I was like, Grimes has been wrestling forever. Carmelo Hayes seems relatively new, but I know Grimes started wrestling when he was a child. And Grimes is one year older than Carmelo Hayes. Fucking wild, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, legitimate, I, uh, legitimate, I w- Trevor Lee was a was a legitimate prodigy, and uh, yeah, you maybe you you might not know that if you didn't really if you came around on the tail end of his came on the tail tail end tail end of his indie run. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Braun Breaker, Santos Escobar. Like I said, on paper I saw the card. I was like, this might be interesting. I checked it out. Uh, it's hard to watch, honestly. WWE for me, the the production value. It's so far from wrestling that it's hard for me to 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 watch. Um, that said, I mean, there was some, there honestly was some stuff on here that was decent. The Creed Brothers MSK, like all those matches were not terrible. I will not like say that any of these matches were like super bad. Um, Dunn and D'Angelo was like really fucking stupid, but it wasn't like bad. Um, it's just a weaponized cage match. I don't, I don't know, whatever, you know, it had WWE riffic plunder bullshit, but you know, otherwise the rest of the matches were just straight up pretty good. I, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. Um, all right, so Quentin, we have a few kind of odds and ends that we wanted to talk about. Um, do you? How do you feel about talking about this West Coast Pro Show? All right, cool. I, 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 I cherry, I cherry pick from here, but okay. I did, but but I did, but I did like what. I, but but okay, I liked ACH versus Bailey. I have some thoughts on uh, Blackwood versus Richards, and yes. um, I did see AJ and Juicy. No, who, who do you see? Was it AJ and Juicy for now yeah. versus versus Effie and no, whoever? No. It was AJ and Effie? No, it was Second Gear Grew, AJ and uh, and Effie against uh, Fatu, Jacob Fatu and Juicy for now. Okay, yeah. So I saw I saw I saw um I saw those three. Okay. I watched everything. Um I would have I was gonna watch it no matter what, really. Um opening what's, match. What's Coast what's Coast Pro is good. It's like Yeah. They're they're an interesting promotion. It feels like they're starting to take the plate like take that like place of like another West Coast promotion that's not PWG. That people always yes. kind of like yearn for to have to like book those big names, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad I'm glad it exists. We've seen a bunch of West Coast promotions come and go, and hopefully they are they're around they're around to stay. 
Yeah, there it's kind of somewhere like AWS um, and even APW, UPW, kind of in that vein, um, with a little bit of you know more influenced by PWG. I would say in some ways, just kind of coming across like a super indie, um, more of that you know two thousands to like early two thousand tens vein of a super indie um, that kind of has died. Like it, it's yeah. weird that 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 bubble burst like. Even AAW is not really like a super indie anymore. PWG kind of is, but at the same time, like, what was the last PWG match that you saw? You know, like, really? Um, so, yeah, it's a, it definitely is reminiscent. It's a bummer for me because I would go to these shows, but it's up north. So, it's, it's, it, oh, it would be oh, oh, a oh, major oh, trick for me. Oh, that's NorCal? Yeah, yeah. They, this shows, this venue says it's in San Francisco. I, I honestly doubt that it's really in the city, but. Uh, so, where, so, where is it like, where, the, so, where is it like Sacramento? No, 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 I would say it's probably like in Oakland or, or you know, something like Santa Rosa. Like it's, but it says San Francisco. I would, I would double check, but I mean, you know, maybe it is, maybe it is. I've, I, APW actually runs in the city. I mean, but it's like on the outskirts of the city, so it's possible. Um, I love the venue, honestly. I think yeah. that this venue always looks super cool, um, with the little like, uh, facade of like housing inside. Um, yeah, it says San Rafael, California. When I look it up on the actual map, instead of just uh, instead of a. Uh, on cage match so yeah it's it's outside of the actual city um but uh you know it's it's not a stretch to call it san francisco it's the bay um and yeah they uh there's they're serving a really good niche i think they're putting on matches that you're not seeing everywhere and we'll talk about the richards and blackwood but i think that they're doing something unique there even um that maybe gets overlooked uh that's it i want to talk about opening match here uh gringo loco steven uh tricero and nick wayne uh, hot off the heels of getting signed by AEW, I think this might have happened before, um, and uh, and just being you know the all around it boy of professional wrestling, Nick Wayne, and uh, I have to say <laughs> that in this match, um, oh goddamn, he got signed like the next day. Uh, Nick Wayne looks sloppy as fuck. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, I liked Nick Wayne when we first saw him in uh, WAC, like uh, West Coast, uh, or without a cause wrestling in a. In the Pacific Northwest, teaming with uh, Jaden, um, I thought this guy's got something, you know. And I've known his history, obviously, from from following like F4W. I'm not gonna pretend like anything else. Like knowing about Buddy Wayne, knowing about Brian Alvarez, and all those guys. Yeah, up but there. also like we also like more than most people. I feel like we pay attention to like the Northwest scene a little bit more. Sure. Sure. Yeah, we already were paying attention to the Pacific Northwest, but then I saw Nick Wayne, and I was like, oh shit, you know, I know who yeah, that oh. is. For, you know. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't searching him out though, you know. But but uh, yeah, I mean, watching him and like my thing is that you hear the people and they talk about him and they don't just say like, oh, you know, he's, he, he, you know, he's good. But like they're they're like trying to start to do this. This is the new talking point that I hear, especially from like Alvarez. Is like, oh yeah, of course he's amazing at doing all the spots and he does all these great spots and he's just he's you know obviously super talented and athletically gifted and stuff. But he also is such a great worker and he milks everything and, and the and the selling and the facials. And I watch this and he's doing high spots with like Gringo Loco, who everyone gives credit for being the base god and all this stuff. And his Canadian destroyers look fucking sloppy as shit. His head scissors look like fucking like like you know he's, he's way fly, off. He's he's, if you, even in like the like the Harold and Janela match, like. If you look when he when he does like the kind of like ricochet back like you know back handspring into the into the pose, it looks extremely sloppy. So like that ha- that has been a kind of a weird thing with the uh, Nick Wayne buzz that's been going around the last few months. It was just to kind of like pencil him in as this great flyer, and it's like, well, no, he's not. 
he's not that good of a flyer. <laughs> so I don't know why we have to lie about that. Yeah, I mean, even with, you know, my opinion of Will Ospreay in a world where we still have a Will Ospreay, uh, having the second-rate kind of knockoff Will Ospreay guy be, like, at the level of Nick Wayne doesn't cut it to me to give him the buzz that people give him. Like, I mean, really. Cause, cause, because at this point, people are giving it, like, it's an afterthought. Obviously, he's just great at moves. You know, he's a spot. His spots are fucking perfect. And it's like, no, they are, they really are not. Yeah. <laughs> like, he is, he is not a great spot. And that's fucking fair. Because this is the thing that people who don't know the history, and as we're just talking about, you know, Buddy Wayne. Buddy Wayne didn't train him to do high spots. Like, that was not... That's not the Buddy Wayne training. His dad was not a high spot wrestler. His dad was not a high flyer. His dad was not a luchador. So yeah, like, th- yeah, this is entirely his own doing based off what he's based off what's been popular the last few years. And Will Ospreay has been one of the biggest wrestlers in the world since 2015. And like, just naturally, like there's gonna be a lot of wrestlers that are gonna be influenced by him. And like, that's 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 his own thing. That has nothing to do with like his actual training at some point. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, and I, I thought about this, and, and I don't know if I put it out there anywhere, but it's like, over the next, like, five years, basically, we'll end up at a point where every single new professional wrestler is either uh, Will Ospreay or Kenny Omega, and each one of them, every time, they'll wrestle each other, and none of them will have a match that comes anywhere close to the one good match that those two had against each other in PWG. Like, th- like it's just this diminishing returns over and over again, where all of these fucking Osprey and Omega clones, that's it. This is the future of wrestling. Like, just accept it. Every wrestler from here on out is going to be either Osprey or Omega, and uh, <laughs> Nick Wayne is just kind of the sign of, of things to come. Um, but yeah. Uh, so that was the takeaway on that. There's a six man with a four, four Oh, and, and some local guys, D rogue who I'll give a shout out to is actually pretty good for a local NorCal guy. Um, so I'd say people check that out. B boy, Vinny Massaro was really good for what it was to me too. Yeah, I, th- I, uh, I, I thought about watching that. Vinny Massaro has been good in yeah. West Coast pro. Yeah. They, they're giving him this character as like a maestro kind of, you know, I can wrestle guy. Um, and he's, you know, obviously, you know, Vinny's size and, uh, and B-Boy was a little bit husky here after a layoff. So they both look two big, thick, you know, uh, veterans who really went pretty quick, beat each other up and got out of there. Nothing flashy, not even the peak of B-Boy, but definitely solid vet match to, ch- to check out and easy to watch because at nine minutes, um, four-way match with, uh, Kylie Ray, Nicole Savoy, Rachel Ellering and Masha Slamovich, uh, good stuff interesting commentary notes on this one um veda scott calling it a, bo- a big boss woman slam when rachel ellering did it not a fan um and the other commentator uh who's the normal commentator for west coast pro uh james kincaid saying that uh mark henry has reportedly said masha samovich is the best women's wrestler in the world which i found shocking um hmm. you know but but cool um then we get to the main event of the evening, Kevin Blackwood versus Davey Richards. Um, Quentin, I know that you were not into this. What do you have to say about this match? Okay. Um, I think we all like the idea of Kevin Blackwood. So I just want to ask you, since I feel like you're a fan, can we admit now that Kevin Blackwood isn't that good? It feels like every time I see him, I expect the match to be good, and it's just not. It's fine. It's average. It's watchable. But as I'm looking for any type of improvement from him, and he has gotten better, I would say, but as I'm looking for him to do anything, or maybe it's just like a, like a matchup here with Date with Davey, maybe Kevin is better in control, which I'd, 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 concede, I'd concede to that point as opposed to, Davey working him over and, and working working as an underdog. 
but I'm starting to feel like maybe Kevin Blackwood just isn't good. And that's fine, because, like, like, you know, there's average wrestlers out there, and I feel like because we associate him with Daniel Garcia, we're expecting all these great things from him. But I don't know. I'm getting to the point where I'm just like, I don't know if Kevin Blackwood is good. Okay, so the aesthetic crippler era of Kenneth Kenneth Blackwood, I'll call him to really make my case here. I'm giving him as much credibility as I can with the name. Um, is leaps and bounds better than when he was? Uh, what was it? Uh, hard, I think it was hard to not hard to kill. Um, I think it was hard to kill Kevin Blackwood um, hard, or unkillable. Oh. It was something like that because it was the car accident thing. Fuck, whatever his name was. Um, but uh, this version of Kenneth Blackwood is the is the aesthetic crippler is leaps and bounds better than he was before when he had the floppy hair and his fresh black arm tattoo was like fucking insane and stood out so much because of how dark it was um, and how skinny he was and how tiny he was and basically everything he did looked like really shitty and, and fake. Um, so I will say he has improved a lot so he definitely deserves credit for that i think that last year he had some really solid matchups that helped him out quite a bit um in that it made him look like he was really putting it together because he kept getting really good matches um and we've talked about it we just did our you know top 50 wrestlers of the of the the pandemic there was not a lot of great wrestling going on so he kind of stood out in being decent um that said, I mean, Kevin Blackwood is, God, this is, this pains me to say, um, Kevin Blackwood feels like Tommy End right before he signed with WWE, where it's this wrestler who feels like he's like, it's almost like a, they have this saying that's like built to sell in, in the brewery in, in the beer world where breweries come together and their whole point is just to sell to a bigger company, um, like small local breweries. Uh, he feels like he's built to get signed. He's, he puts together the look, he's got the package, he's got the vibe, and he's having the matches that are supposed to be good, as you said. The matches that people watch and then they, nothing is fucked up and nothing looks terrible. So everyone just co-signs that like, damn, Kevin Blackwood's a good wrestler, right? So he's got all of that. So basically I just feel like he's pumped up, his stock was overinflated, and, uh, and you see something like this and you go like, oh yeah, this, like, he's actually at this level. The hype and all that stuff is not correct. That said, this is the only promotion that's actually doing something with Davey Richards that's not just one-off bullshit matches. Right. Like, they're, like, dream matches. So, to me, this actually had some stakes in it, so it felt a lot better. Like, it was one of the better Davey matches that I've seen with Davey on the Indies. I was thinking about the, Gar like, comparing it to the Garcia match. I don't necessarily know that I thought that the Davey-Garcia match was, like, much better than this. Just because there was some storyline and there was some actual drama to bite into because you have the history of the two and you have them now going one and one um, with then building up to a rubber match. So to me, I get where you're coming from, but I think that part of it is that Kevin Blackwood has been overinflated by a lot of things and he's really... <laughs> the Aesthetic Crippler is a great nickname for this fucking guy. That's what he is. He's aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, he's an aesthetic guy. He, he, he's not a great wrestler. He knows how to approximate great wrestling. Um, that is what he's doing. He's creating an aura and a vibe. And he's, it's like Swerve. When Swerve was becoming a star, he made himself into a star, right? Swerve was a much better wrestler. I mean, even Tommy End, the reference that I made, a better wrestler. But like, he he's more or less he's trying to will himself into a star by putting together everything else and meanwhile the in-ring stuff is not quite there 
Uh, and you especially, as you mentioned, like comparing it to uh, to Daniel Garcia does him no favors. And basically, you know, for the, for this this second part of his career, he has been like you know, ne- not neck and neck. It's not neck and neck. Hip and hip. I don't know. Arm and arm. Locked. Li- locked at the hip. That's what they call it, right? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, pretty much. You, uh, like, you, th- like, you, th- you think of you think of Daniel Garcia, you think of Kevin Blackwood and vice versa. Yeah, the Buffalo Brothers. Although I guess now, man, I mean, Garcia, you think about fucking <laughs> like everything else. You think about 2.0, AEW. Think about the feud with Moriarty, the Muda. Like, there's a ton to think about with Garcia now. But yeah, I think that... Uh, the Buffalo Brothers were a big thing, and uh, and it doesn't help Blackwood to be compared to Garcia. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my take on it. Uh, do with that what you will. All right. Um, what, what, what was after that? Um, I'll, uh, Blake like... Christian versus Titus Alexander. Titus Alexander, the uh, the son of Big Ugly. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll say this. Um, I didn't watch this, but what I've seen from Blake Christian since he's left WWE. He is a lot better. He is worlds better than okay. I remember him on the indies. At least yes. in the at least in the couple matches I've seen, like on the individual level, that doesn't mean it's gonna like lend itself to good matches. But in terms of like his smoothness and I feel like his timing on things, I feel like he's gotten better. Maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong here. No, 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 no. You're right. You're right. He's definitely gotten better. He was very low before, though. I mean, to be fair, he was not. He was not a great wrestler. He was like, I, I don't know. He just didn't. I think the best thing that happened to him in WWE is someone like actually explaining to him the point of wrestling. Oh, I think oh, he's oh, one of these oh, guys. Oh, by the way, this is not me saying that I think Blake Christian is a good wrestler now. I want to make that extremely clear. Fair. And I'm not saying yes. Blake Christian is a good wrestler. It's like before, before Blake Christian, I mean, obviously it was working because he got over and he was a GCW guy and all this. But I think that he like went into WWE and they actually like (laughs) he's one of these people who had went this entire time and didn't really even understand what wrestling psychology meant you know you know like when you're a kid and you hear people talk about wrestling psychology and you're like yeah yeah sure wrestling psychology I get it and then really you're like I have no fucking clue what people are talking about right and like that's what he had gotten to that point he got signed by WWE and then he showed up to the to the um to the performance center and like Steve Carino actually finally taught him about what wrestling is because, yeah, now, like, he actually understands what he's supposed to be doing. And that is a major improvement on what he was doing before. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Titus Titus Alexander's an interesting one. I can't tell if I like him or not. I have not seen enough of him. Um, he, people like him. He's got some buzz, like I said. Second-generation wrestler. Um, but, I mean, no one... I say he's got some buzz because he's a California guy. He's got some buzz for, you know, me and my scene and the people that I know here in California. Other than that, I don't think anybody knows who he is or cares. Um, either way, this match was fine. Uh, it really was just a, a to set up to build, to continue with the storyline with Alexander and Starboy Charlie, um, because Alexander fucked over Starboy Charlie when he was, uh, having a, uh, West Coast Pro Wrestling Championship match before he got injured. And, uh, it looks like Charlie might be returning soon, or maybe they're just teasing it, but either way. Um, next was the tag team match that you mentioned having seen, uh, Second Gear Crew versus Jacob Fatu and Juicy Finale. Um, feel free to, I'll let you talk on this one, Quentin, because uh, I've been talking on this whole show. Oh, I really, I just really, I just really enjoy, um, this, with uh, this, uh, this Roma AJ Gray as champion. 
I really enjoyed the Juicy Finale title title defense, and I enjoyed the Jacob Fatu match and bringing those two back here. So I actually like the kind of like little mini program here. I thought this was just like, just a lot of fun. I think AJ and Juicy have really awesome chemistry. Um, Effie Effie here in 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 his moments, kind of getting like ragdolled ragdolled around and thrown around. I guess he's like these two big hosses or whatever. Like it made for like it made for a good dynamic and AJ getting his moments to shine. I wish that the AJ and Jacob chemistry was better. I feel like there's still something missing there between those two. That if it got tapped into, that if it got tapped into, we could have one of the better pairings on the indies. But I thought I thought this was a this was super fun, and I really and I and I like the, and I like these two as a opposition to AJ Gray. Yeah, and this reminded me a lot of like. You know, I guess the closest, most recent comparison that you have is like something like ROH, but it's also something that they would do in, um, you know, obviously in all Japan and stuff, uh, where like you have the cha- as you said, the champion, but he's not in a, a title match even on a show. You know, this is a small company, so they don't run a ton of shows, but he is in like a big tag team match that involve, uh, uh, you know, what should be a major rival for him in in Jacob Fatu, former champion. Um, in the company as well, you know, in this setting. And it reminds me, yeah, like some of those big ROH weekends where you'd have like Samoa Joe in a tag team match that's kind of uh, building up storylines and building up rivalries, but it's not necessarily every show he has to defend the title, which I think a lot of companies, a lot of smaller indie promotions now that don't run that often feel like, well, if we have a show, we have to have a championship match no matter what. Um, And I like them not, you know, falling into that trap and doing some more old school kind of booking. Um, And like you said, the biggest bummer coming out of it or in general is, yeah, that AJ Gray and Jacob Fatu don't have better chemistry because it feels like West Coast Pro Wrestling is really building or at least trying to build a heated rivalry between the two um, as the kind of the top two singles heavyweight guys in the company. And we just kind of don't don't quite get it. I will say that this tag team match. And the tag team match that I saw with Jacob and Juicy versus Starboy and Dickinson have gotten me a lot more on the Juicy for Now train. And I know that, you know, <laughs> Papa of We Don't Know Wrestling, Sam, uh, is majorly on the Juicy for Now hype train. And I've thought, I've been a little bit kind of like he's out of his fucking mind at times with how much he really likes him. But honestly, he's, he's good. He's, to see he's good. I'm not like, I'm not like sold to this guy, you know, like. He's gonna be um, the next darling, like Congo Kong was, or whatever. But he, he's good. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely I'm pro juicy at this point. I'm I'm, I'm definitely into it. Uh, follow that up. Main event time. We've got uh, Speedball Mike Bailey versus ACH Super ACH. Right. Uh, don't forget the super. Um, the best. I P- guess yeah, Quentin Fielder. The best. P- the best PWG match in. <laughs> Like, yeah, in like five years, like five like years, five years, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, feel free, go for it, Quinn. Man, what if like the quality of the match is great? Like these two are two, like two of the best wrestlers in the world. Like, well, Mike Speedball has been ACH has had his ups and downs in the last in the last like year or so, but when they're on at their peaks, they've been somewhat they they've been a couple of the best wrestlers in the world. So they both showed up showed up here on their A game and delivered in that way. But it just like sentimentally, it just like I don't know, like it, it was just a nice watch, man. Like to have been so down on the indies, um, in the last couple of years, and to have this match that reminded you of better times or what could have been at points. It just was a, it just was, it just was nice to see. It's nice to see what it could have looked like if we 
were able to get Speedball versus ACH in 2016 or 2015, or like or, 20, or 2016 or 2017, in the time in which Speedball was away from wrestling, and like maybe their paths converge, and like during ACH's best wrestler in the world run in 2019 or whatever, maybe you know getting him and Speedball to uh, to engage to engage in some more bouts and stuff like that, like. Yeah, just, or even oh, it, in Japan, like yeah. one's in New Japan, the other's in DDT. Mm-hmm. So it just felt, it just felt like, man, like what have we been missing this whole time? And this was a spectacle. It was a lot of big bombs, but they sold their asses off. They hit the shit out of each other, and it was the best ACH I've seen in a long time. I feel like he's slowly getting back there. And Speedball was the perfect guy to kind of to kind of drag that back out of him. I think, and. I don't know. Like, and we'll talk about that when it comes to the when it comes to Biff Slade, um, in a little bit. But it just felt nice to watch. It just felt good to be like, oh yeah, like this is what it felt like when indie wrestling was genuinely good. Yes, it felt like yes. Oh, it felt like it felt like the return of indie wrestling, and you don't want to speak too soon. But it's like I don't know how you could see ACH versus Speedball. And not realize the difference here. You can compare this to any fucking GCW whack, like wacky show, VXS, whatever you want to compare it to. And it's like, oh yeah, this is like what the what the good wrestling is. And like obviously people have like <laughs> different tastes, this subjective and all the other shit. I get it. I'm not like I, I trust me, I, I understand what it was like, oh wow, like the 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 level is so much different and noticeable when guys like this are in the main event and they, and they're the ones getting 20 plus minutes and not other people who can't hold, who can't, who can't, who can't go into those kind of waters. It, it's a great match, but it just meant more to me than how good the match was. It felt like, you know, the return of the, of, of a, of a certain time in indie wrestling where it was a great time to be a fan. Yes. And again, this is another hearkening back the roots, the connections, the stuff that I'm talking about that that make these things feel more deep. Like Speedball Mike Bailey has been one of the best baby faces in wrestling for like one and almost one and a half decades, basically. Uh, this guy has been wrestling, you know, that long, and you don't even realize it because he still looks like a child. Um, and and the connection there is like going back to like Wrestle Culture podcast, um, like Dave Musgrave talking about this kid from the Canadian wrestling scene that nobody knew who the fuck he was, but on C4 shows, this Mike Bailey kid is so good. And I know that you and me both like took the time to go and check him out based on Dave Musgrave talking about him and Dylan Hales on the podcast talking about how good this guy was. And this is before anyone thought there was any possibility this motherfucker would even show up in like a PWG. And then you watch over the years and he finally does, you know, and he finally is there and he finally becomes something. And not only does he become something, but he, he goes to, to um to Japan and and while in Japan shows us that he's not just this great baby face but that also he's can be a phenomenal heel something that I always thought was there and I always remember I've fucking referenced this a thousand times on podcast but whatever best of the best finals speedball Mike Bailey versus Jonathan Gresham everyone who's listened to me on podcast long enough has heard me talk about this at the end of it speedball cuts this promo and that was when I said this motherfucker feels like he's actually a prick and it's funny because at that point I had already been years and years of this is, he's an amazing baby face, but I'm like, there's something about him that I can just tell he's actually an asshole. 
it takes fucking five, six years later for me to finally see him actually show that off in, in the context of wrestling in DDT. And then you see that he can actually be an asshole. And then you see him, uh, again, like, the connection's back. I see him trying to do that, trying to be a, a heel against, uh, I, you probably didn't see this, the GCW match against Jimmy Lloyd. Um, in the middle of the match, you can just see that Speedball, he's trying to mock the crowd a little bit. He's trying to do the clapping thing. He's looking, he's smirking. And the crowd is on his side. The crowd is like, yeah, fuck Jimmy Lloyd. And it's just so funny because I could tell that he was trying to do like, here's your, you know, your local guy. He's your lovable loser. He's your Tommy Dreamer. I know you guys want to root for him and I'm coming into town and I'm going to beat the shit out of him. And the crowd's like, no, 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 you don't get it. This is GCW. We don't cheer for our lovable loser. We want to see him get his ass kicked. We like when scissors get jammed in his neck. We like to laugh at him. You know, we're not in this because we're rooting for him. We're rooting against him. We want bad things to happen to this guy. So then he just turns it over and starts beating the shit out of him. And yeah, I'm just like, okay, like this is, this is Speedball, the guy who fucking gets it. He's such a great professional wrestler. Now that you can fully see that he can do the babyface thing here against ACH and, and show back to the decade ago of when you first started seeing him on this grainy, shitty footage from C4 in Canada to today, one of the best wrestlers in the world, 10 years of being one of the best wrestlers in the world, um, and just, you know, all this different bullshit getting in the way. And then you compare that to, as you talked about ACH and being the heyday and the heights of, of the, what indie wrestling was at its peak. And me thinking about being in Reseda, you know, in the uh, the Legion Hall that everyone makes such a big deal about that I always was like, eh, you know, I think PWG could move. And then now come to find out, like, I was wrong. They couldn't really move and they have not transitioned super well and the building's gone. And being there and everyone going crazy for Stone Cold ACH and he puts on the jacket and, all, and I was kind of like, eh. You know, I like it. I'm, it's fun in the moment. I'm drunk. I'm cheering. But this is not it. And it's just, it's so funny to think the roller coaster ride that I went on with ACH going from not being high on him to being insanely high on him. And as you said, that he's back. So there's a ton of emotion here. And there's a ton of background. And there's a ton of build. On top of the fact that these two are fucking phenomenal. Everything they do looks amazing. The yeah. superplex into the apron spot. Or the suplex into the apron. What the fuck? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, this is so good. It's, uh... Like I said, it's an incredible match within its own right. Just these two are great wrestlers. They're great wrestlers. They hit the shit out of each other. Speedball, I think, doesn't get credit for how hard he hits. Not just his kicks. His chops are fucking absurd. And ACH, you don't have to talk about ACH and how heavy his hands are. And it's these, it's these big bombs. They're selling their asses off. Athletic, athletic spots. Brutality wrapped up in it. But at the end of the day... It felt like things were right again. And these people are now the elder statesmen. ACH is now an elder statesman. Mike Bailey is now an elder statesman in the indie wrestling scene, which is wild to say if you've been fo- if, you, if you've been following for long enough. But these guys are now the elder statesmen. And at least for that match and for maybe that one night, and we'll see how things go. Because with people getting released, the Thatchers, the Biffs, ACH, Mike Bailey being back on the scene and stuff like that. Other guys that have gotten released and they're gonna and are gonna be in their in those in those ninety day in those ninety days are gonna be up soon. A Keith Lee just showing up in AEW. We're gonna like it's things feel right again, and I feel like yeah. that's just like the best way to say it that things feel oh. right. No, that's it. That's it. That was kind of what my point was. And I talked about pro wrestling being back on the on the top 50 thing. It's like 
this is it. Like, pro wrestling is back. The indies are thriving. There's a major company that feels like it's actually a pro wrestling company. There's, yeah, the ecosystem is rebuilding. The Keith Lee stuff, I wanted to even talk about that. Did you watch the debut match in AEW? Yeah, I watched that, I watched that episode live, yeah. Yeah, that was fucking phenomenal. The guy is back. He's instantly a gigantic star. The what match the fuck is Wade Keller talking about? Why, like, what, uh, Keith Lee has looked the same the whole time. He, what, the, what the hell is he talking about? I know. I mean, he definitely looked a little bit bigger, but he def, he still moved just as good as ever. And I heard, like, uh, Meltzer say the same thing. They're trying to say, like, his leapfrog was low. And then, I'm like, no, 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 what no. What no. the fuck? Fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, and then I also even saw like yeah, like uh, Meltzer trying to be like oh you know he or Keller being like or he he you know got over so quick on the Indies or whatever, and I was like motherfucker had wrestled for like ten years before anyone knew his fucking name. Yeah, like that, like, that, that, like that was definitely like, some like kind of like revisionist history bullshit yeah. on Keith Lee. I'm like, yeah. okay, you like he every people he people became main, mainstream aware of him in 2016. The guy was wrestling in Texas for years and no one knew him. So yeah, exactly. like, yeah, like let's let's keep the Keith Lee revisionist history uh, to to a minimum here, <laughs> right? But but like well, but at the same gonna... but at the same oh. time but at the same time it's like with big like mainstream wrestling journalists journalists like that like at least like a Wade like Dave who I know watches everything and I know that Wade watches a lot like I can expect expect something like that from Wade to like to think to to like even think that that makes sense, right? No, I know it's it's whatever. But yeah, again, it, it's it it is revisionist history, as you say. I was gonna go on a bit of a diatribe, a little bit of a journey on Warrior Wrestling number nineteen. I'm sure you, I'm sure you didn't see it, um, but uh, it had some it had some stuff. But I think that there's a uh, a much better transition. Really, the only reason why I wanted to talk about it is because there was a Mike Bailey versus Santana match that I heard people touting as being this great star performance from Santana. I did not see it. In oh, fact, <laughs> I think Santana looked better in the tag team match on Dynamite last night than he did in the match against Mike Bailey. But yeah, that's just me. Um, but how, how, the transition, how, how, was, how, how was that match, by the way? The the tag team match? Yeah, how was it? Yeah, it was decent. It was it was fine. Jericho looks in better shape than he has been in a while. Hager looked in yes, actually yes, better I, shape I, than I, he has. I, I said that last yeah. week. The Jericho looks like he's in pretty good shape. Yeah, yeah. So he looked in good shape, and and they clearly were trying to push EYFBO as stars. They looked really good, especially Drastic or Santana. <laughs> yeah, like just, they really, they yeah, just went just went full Beyond right there. Just <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the point because I was trying to transition to Beyond. I was going to go from Keith Lee talk to the company that kind of was the where Keith Lee broke out. And it's funny because we're in the middle of this fucking feud. And I thought about it when all the Keith Lee stuff was going on because I said, you know, the Devil Wears Prada said that uh, Texas is South. So uh, I guess Beyond hates the South, except for they made fucking Keith Lee, and he's from Texas. So Beyond Wrestling, day 31, or yeah, day, day 91. Did you watch anything else from this show? I did not. All right. I meant to go back and watch more stuff. Uh, the only thing I ended up watching was the unfortunately disappointing Lou Fisto versus Macha Slamovich match. Um, because I am high on Masha, even if other people aren't, um, you know, as high we, as me. And we, I've we, always we been talk high about on it. Like, even like, even when you like her, you admit that she kind of, she can be kind of hit yeah. or miss. Yeah. And Lufisto is someone I've been a fan of for a very long time, but I don't know. It's, it's weird because I'm like five, six years ago, I had this, like Lufisto can have a great match with anybody thing, even at her old age. I bet she's going to, you know, never fade, but like, it's really, it's getting her now. She's getting older. I mean, fuck, you know, she's been wrestling yeah. hard for a long time. 
and uh, she's just not gonna <laughs> she's in her 40s you know like fuck she's not gonna be able to have great matches forever and i just i thought that she was invincible but time makes fools of us all as they say um the main event is the only thing really worth talking about here i think um biff music versus slade it's you know the show is called day 91 because it's the return of biff music um this match on paper for me was not a dream match i'll say i was not uh necessarily insanely excited just because i'm not a big slade fan but i thought if there's anybody who can do anything it's it's biff um and biff is one of these guys so many wrestlers who go to wwe um and they come back you have to question it still right you have to say well when this guy comes back is is there going to be anything left but biff there was never any question because his entire time in wwe he always still showed you that he was biff because what made Biff great was the intensity, the fire, you know, the insanely fucking hard-hitting offense. Obviously, we've talked about it in the past, but, like, I think that underrated for the fact that Biff was, like, the best of the Evolve grapple fuck era, really. Like, Timothy Thatcher and Biff were the probably the one and two of actually the best people. And he was, like, so... Biff was so limited in, like, how much of the Evolve stuff he really did during that period... But uh, that's kind of why I think that people overlook just how good he was. But fuck if he was not amazing. I mean, and, 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 and Biff, I think it's, and yeah. I think it speaks to how good Biff was when we had him. That people kind of associate him with that style, and it's like realistically, Biff wasn't around like that in Evolve. But when we did see him, he was so impactful that you just kind of like lump him in there anyway. And it's like he's not really a grapple. Fight. Like he is because it really, like, really, it starts with. Uh, Thatcher and Biff at that Beyond Secret show, but he's not really a grapple fuck guy in the Evolve sense. No, no, but but again, like I said, he's fucking phenomenal at that style, but yeah, he's one of these guys who, there was never any question in my mind that Biff still had it because he was one of the few people who even while he was in WWE, he got to repeatedly show you that he still had it because he was still doing Biff shit in WWE. No matter what, No matter what it was, you saw Biff. Um, but he comes out here looking like a fucking house, big as a house, bro him fucking hits and goddamn if it's not fucking intense, bro him was always, obviously I've always loved it with Biff, but it was a big deal for me too. Uh, because you know, when I was a, a, a young teen starting punk bands, bro him was like a staple cover for bands that I would be in and shit. And, and we would associate it with, you know, when friends, if friends died, we would always play it and drink and party and do the whole thing. So bro him has always been, you know, it's a, it's yeah. It's definitely a SoCal punk staple. Uh, so to me, it was always a song that I had known since I was young. Um, made a big deal about and, and, you know, really appreciated. But then, yeah, like when uh, when um, when it became like synonymous with Biff Busick, who became one of my favorite wrestlers, it, it just added to that, like that history in my mind of it in pro wrestling. So that hits. Biff comes out and he's ready, looking, like I said, gigantic, ready to fucking go. You got this, you know, twin mirror match standing face to face. Yes, commentary stinks. Yes, the nickname stuff is is lame. But uh, if these two don't it's fucking make re- up for it, it's really fucking bad. Walking yes. snuff film. No, it's that's really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like it borders on offensive, but then it's also so corny and cringe that you you're like you can't I mean, get mad at it. But at the same time, you know? if you know what a snuff film is, it's that's right. bad. <laughs> it's like, yeah. 
Yes, like I shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, what the point of a snuff film is that someone gets killed, right? So like, yeah. <laughs> I guess you're implying that he does the killing, but it's weird because it also sounds like maybe he's the one who gets killed. I don't fucking know. Like either way, like yeah, it's uh, a Any, it's terrible. Involving, anything involving like real life murders in like mutilation. Sure. I'm like I'm feel like you should probably stay away from yeah just, <laughs> just not just... yeah but but like you say other than that like um you mentioned this not being a dream match when you like say like oh biff's first match back on the indies for is me sl- yeah no, no no in general i think it's a fair thing to say in general like biff's return matches versus slade hmm okay but we've talked what well, we've talked about this match Ad nauseum within our friend group, we have great reviews from our pals like si- like Simon and even Sam. Drop some written stuff. Joseph has done written stuff, and you can check out uh, all all their work reviewing this match. So everyone's talked about it, but I think what makes this match in particular so endearing is that they could have easily tried to book Biff versus Jonathan Gresham. They could have done Biff versus Wheeler Yuta. They could have done. Biff versus Layla Hirsch. They could have done Biff versus like any name that you think stylistically. Hot sauce. Yeah, hot sauce. Could have been, like, yeah, you could have done any name Gay like high. stylistically makes more sense or the name from his era, stuff like that. They didn't though. They went with something that I feel like narratively was a much more creative and daring choice to go with this guy, Slade, a new a newer name who was not of whatever style that you associate Biff Busick with and having the, having this whole story of does Biff still have it? Does Biff still have that edge in order to beat this thing that he has never seen before? This kind of Michael Myers-esque approach to a wrestling character. <laughs> oh, like, God damn it. Michael Myers of wrestling, baby. That's, that's what he uh, is. Like that's what the fuck he. That's what he's doing. He's like I know, this, I know. Yeah, it's like this. This Michael Myers esque like approach to a wrestling character, and seeing if Biff can hold up to it. And like, at times, I like I feel like Biff sells the concept of fear, really well in this match. He looks lost. He doesn't know what to do. He does. He looks unsure of himself at points. And I think that like lead like lends itself to a match that's just engaging from start to finish it's easy to dismiss it as dumb as like dumb fun bullshit slade no cells they bleed they go through doors stuff like that it's dumb and it's fun but when you analyze it just a little bit biff is slowly trying to gain that confidence to overcome this obstacle that he's never seen before and yeah they bleed and they do dumb shit and slade no cells a lot and it's fun but I really enjoy the story that they told of it feels like if Biff can beat this guy, then Biff is ready to come back and face anything. So I really enjoy, so like more than it, like so more than it being Biff's return, more than them bleed, more than Biff deciding to come back and bleed buckets in the, in the, in a match with this new guy. It just, they actually went with the like interesting narrative and story for this match, when they could have done literally anything else, they could have done hot sauce, yay high, Yuda, whatever else, and they, they didn't. They went with something interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's the Beyond thing. I mean, they talked about it to set this up coming in, like Beyond bringing in Keith Lee. Looking at the timeline is kind of insane to think about because by the time Keith shows up in Beyond, he, I didn't realize, was already working in ROH. The Pretty Boy Killers were already a thing. Um, for some reason, in my head, it goes the other way around, right? That, like, Keith got Buzz from showing up in Beyond and the, having the first Dijak match being, like, the first thing he does there. Um, but even before that, I didn't... I assumed this happened afterwards, or, you know, the opposite way, is that um, Keith has the Jeff Cobb match in Limitless before he shows up in, in Beyond for the first time. Like I said, the timeline is all fucking thrown off in my head, but the way I remember it was like, yeah, he showed up in Beyond, and then that was it. Um, but, uh, you know, when he showed up, they, they threw him in there with Dijak, and, like, I don't know, would that have been your prediction of, like, on paper, like, oh, let's put this guy with, like, these two giant guys against each other for the first time ever just to see what happens and then what it became. Like, that's... Beyond has always kind of done random weird shit that's, like, sometimes just hits so well that that, that matchup became, like, a five-star matchup, according to, to Dave Meltzer when he saw the worst version of the match live, um, which I will say I was in the building for as well. Um, so, you know, whatever. You know, Dave Meltzer says five stars from his live experience. I say, I say it was actually the worst match that these two ever had with each other. You know, agree to disagree. Either way, that's kind of the beyond thing is, like, just this in, inspired booking decisions that don't... Um, that don't sacrifice their local talent for just whatever random thing they want to do whatever random kind of thrown together match uh they always like make sure to to take care of their homegrown guys for good and for bad <laughs> like historically there is some stuff in there that's questionable but even something that i would say is like questionable like uh death by elbow right the jt dunn chris hero story like any other promotion just brings in chris hero and has him do his thing and just has great matches whatever but beyond wanted to do something to get over their guy and love it or hate it and i know that there was a lot of people who even at the time and probably looking back hated it not a fan of jt dunn and all that stuff but uh it was beyond taking care of their guy and using something to make him a bigger star by creating this like tag team thing and this rivalry that turned into the tag team and all that like that is beyond that's what beyond does and like i said to a fault positive negative they, they have their guys and they stick with them and they push them and they don't just bring in outside stars and make them the focus of the show. They bring in outside stars to bolster their guys and even Biff coming back and you think of Biff as their guy, but even Biff coming back, they say, well, we're not going to just, like you said, put him in a dream match and make him look good. We're going to use this to also help increase the, 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 the aura and the star power of a guy that we've kind of put a lot of into and made our own in Slade. And Here's the thing, for everything that Slade has done, this match adds a lot to him because, as you talked about the walking snuff film, the wrestling Mike Myers, this match made Slade more human. This match added emotion to Slade. Up until this point, Slade is cold. He's, I'm not saying he's won every match, but he hasn't really shown anything. And you came out of this match with, for the first time ever, as far as I'm concerned, you see a Slade that feels like he has something to prove because every other match, it's just about violence and, and gore and he wins or loses whatever, but he's unchanged, but he lost this match and it felt like a match where now he's going to need, he has the feeling that he needs to prove himself. 
he has to come back and actually do something about losing this match. And any other time that Slade has won or lost, it's like, ah, whatever. But this actually felt like something important, you know? So that was kind of, you actually added something to Slade. So it wasn't just a, let's bring back Biff and honor our legend and our star and just focus on that. But let's actually use this to help build up a guy that we've invested so much in. And that's, again, that's beyond. And that's why Drew, I've I said it for a long time, but Drew is like, in some ways, is the best indie wrestling booker that there is right now. There's like not really anybody else that comes close to Drew because even if everything he does and the work shoot stuff that he has to try, like every couple of years he has to try to do some work shoot thing and it's fucking terrible. Like at the same time, nobody books like this. Nobody does interesting, cool stuff like like uh, like like he does. Like Drew's. I guess the thing is, is that Drew is not a averages guy. He doesn't like have a great like you know hitting average but like when he hits when he gets a piece of it he has more percentages of home runs like when he actually gets a piece of it he 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 knocks it out of the park and that's the thing he'll strike out a lot but uh when he hits it he'll he'll hit a home run and that's why drew fucking rocks and it's fun to watch like it's fun to watch what he does with his his mind and the way that he books um but yeah that's uh <laughs> i guess that's the last thing i have to say about that yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else to say about that. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, and yeah, um, Biff is great. There's no reason to ever doubt Biff. He could easily wind up being the 2022 Wrestler of the Year. Uh, and he should be on weekly television doing something. I don't want him on there immediately. I want some time with Biff on the NDC before, before he does. But... Yeah, put the TNT title on Biff Busick. Let him go out there and uh, let him wrestle Darby Allen about 17 times. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. Um, Quentin, we had we were planning on talking about Osprey versus uh, Michael Oku. Yeah, it's been a while. Matches happened quite a bit ago. You just watched it. I know. Um, what uh, <laughs> what do you have to say about this one? Uh, this can be quick. Um. Other than the Rainmaker stuff and the Rainmaker being Osprey's kryptonite coming off of the Wrestle Kingdom match and uh, stuff with Okada, like I, I think it's just weird for Oku to do, and like I, it just doesn't really work for me. Other than that, I don't have anything bad to say about the match. I actually I, like really enjoy it for the most part. Um, I've said before that you can say that is Osprey like overindulgent and like doing these kind of matches that like with these kind of talents that he shouldn't be doing. Absolutely, but I also think that he's doing these matches better than anyone else could if someone had to do these matches. Uh, his selling was his selling was phenomenal. Uh, I thought I thought it was really good. I loved his I loved his confidence and his like dom like domineering attitude, especially down the stretch with the elbows and everything. Uh, the the bump Oku took on the like after being bumped after being thrown off the top turnbuckles to the outside was fucking insane, um, but I've I've said I've said it for a while that Osprey's basing he's so good as a base and I'm not sure why he doesn't get the credit for how good his basing is. I look at something like Oku's arm drags and um this Ron this Rana he does and. This revert this reverse into a Rana that that goes off the top and even the way he takes a Frankensteiner that looked a little sloppy but still worked it looked like it looked super dangerous and that it could hurt like Osprey's basing I feel like is his best aspect that just gets under talked about and down the stretch he showed the things that I feel like have have made him 
a better all-around wrestler in the last few years. The, the slaps, you can, like, you can talk about him cosplaying Japanese wrestlers and Shibata as much as you want, but like those were thorough-looking, legitimate-looking slaps, and they looked executed very well. I like the finish with the elbows, and I, I don't know, man. Like I'm not in the five-star best uh best match of the year camp not not i'm not there by any means i think that oku still has very clear limitations even though the crowd is into him i'm not sure if that's a me problem or an oku problem but clearly that clearly the guy is over but everything about the match i like for the most part i don't have anything negative to say about it you can say it went too long and yeah it went pretty long but i felt pretty engaged throughout most of the match I don't have any, I, like, I didn't feel myself drifting off or needing to look at my phone in the past time or that it felt like it was dragging or anything like that. And I'll give Oku credit there. He stepped up in the big spot when he needed to, but ultimately I got to give a lot of the credit to Osprey. Yeah, I have to give a big shout out to uh, Verb Ganya. Uh, just had his second child. Um, oh, shit. So shout out to Pizza Parties, Verb Ganya. Just saw that. Um, but yes, this match. <laughs> best Oku has looked, I'd say, ever for a very long time. Uh, put together, like you said, limitations for sure. Um, that said, I think that uh, this match was really suffered for me from the praise. Um, and especially, especially yes. the praise from Meltzer. Like, this fucking guy. I don't know what his... I don't know what his deal is at this point, but trying to say that this is like the only heel babyface match that's ever happened. You know what I mean? Like in the past 40 years, like no match has no match has a heel and a babyface. And I'm just like, what the fuck do you watch? And you talked about it like we we know that he watches stuff. I've given him credit in the past for talking about that. He watches more wrestling than he even talks about, you know, publicly. He goes to wrestling shows and then doesn't even review them. Like, PWG was really the only live wrestling shows in the past, like, 10 years that he reviews. But he actually goes to a tons of shows in, in the Northeast. Uh, or not in the Northeast. You know, in the in, in the Northern California. Um, and, like, still, like, that he talks about this. Like, there hasn't been any heel and babyface matches. On top of the fact that, like, I don't even think that this is, like, necessarily a great heel and babyface match. Like... Yes, Oku was definitely playing an underdog babyface, and Osprey was playing like a, you know an overdog heel for sure. But like, I, I don't think that this particularly stood out as like more of a heel babyface match than even like say something like an like Osprey and Okada matches, really. So like, how do you say how do you say this is the best heel babyface match that's happened in forty years, and you've seen Osprey and Okada, or like, like both of those matches, or like. Or like CM Punk versus MJF that literally happened on AW Dynamite. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I know. I know. I just... I don't know... I don't know what's going on. Uh, that said, the stuff with the girlfriend, I think old school, like, old school kind of thing, messing with the girlfriend in the crowd. But, like, to me, I think it doesn't work when you know that she's a wrestler. The commentary mentions that she's a wrestler. In the UK scene, they do tons of intergender wrestling. So to me, I just don't think that it works as well to try to, like, you can put it over like it's an asshole thing to do, but they tried to put it over the top, like, how dare he hit a woman, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. well, you know, that's, I feel like that's the wrong way to, to go with that. Um, that said, I think, yeah, I think that 
tons of great execution. I think that Osprey, yeah, like you said, did a really good job selling in the places where he needed to to make Michael Oku look believable um, as as someone who is a threat to him. Um, Oku has come a long way. Like, it's very funny to think about Oku's career because I think he was way too overhyped in the beginning. I think then there was a major backlash. And now I think that he's kind of starting to put it together to where he can actually do something. But again, like the UK scene is so sporadic that it doesn't really matter. But uh, but I actually think that there could be something there. Um, but that said, I just don't know that anything will ever really happen for him. Um, because, well, maybe you know what? Fuck it. I shouldn't say something like that. Because I was literally thinking about it, and I mentioned him earlier, but I was thinking about Swerve. And I was thinking about the first time I saw, you know, the first times that I saw Swerve. And he was so tiny and just didn't look like he was like could be a wrestler and he's filled out so much and and actually looks like something now and oku and, and oku's on still only like oku's still only like 25 i think right yeah so he could fill out he could get bigger he could bulk up and and still figure it out and put something together and have that star power at some point so it, so something could happen there but i think that yeah i think that unfortunately uh i need more believability from him physically it's so funny to like turning into that kind of old man who says something like that but yeah, it, it, it's just true that I think that for him to be a star, I think that he needs to have a more imposing fi- like figure. He just really doesn't have it. Um, but uh, that said, yeah, I think solid match, but I think the praise kind of ruined it for me. Um, wouldn't say match of the year contender. Wouldn't probably wouldn't have it much above like three and a half stars. <laughs> like I'm not even sure. I'm not, I don't, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even sure. It's not the not even the best. Like Will Osprey heel performance I've ever seen. No. Like it's like it was just kind of oh, weird. Oh hell no! Yeah, no, of course not. Like, yeah, uh, no, 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 no. Osprey has had much better heel performance matches. But that said, I mean, fuck the the Brian Cage match that people were going nuts about. Osprey and Cage that match fucking stunk. Like that match was dog shit. And uh, like I don't know if you, I, I'm sure you didn't see it, but it was very bad. And like you know people like fucking the same people were going crazy for that so there's a certain sect of people who like just anything osprey does is amazing right oh, like, I mean, just... yeah i think that we're, we're at a point now where like the osprey is the best wrestler ever is coming very very soon and i've oh. I've, I've, I've warned people like that we talked to him like yeah that's coming very soon and uh i think it's already here honestly i think it's already here i think that people are already saying it you know i i I, I think that people are believably, honestly saying Osprey is the best wrestler in the world at this point. But yes, I get what you're saying because it is going to continue to spread, and it's going to become like a thing. And, it's, and like, uh, remember, like I like I like him. I've all, like I've never sure sure had this point where I didn't like Osprey matches or whatever. So it's like I still enjoy him, but it is kind of like I watch stuff like Osprey versus Fredericks or Osprey versus Red Narita, and I'm like. Okay, this is like impressive as a feat, right? But in terms of like an actual match, yeah, I think he's way better in the Ren Narita match or something or something like that, or even something like Aussie Open versus um versus Swords of Essex. I think his performance in that is probably his best heel performance to date. If um if I if I if I had to think about something, so it was just funny, obviously, and like this is big. It got hype and. Meltzer loves Osprey and also likes long matches and stuff like that. So this was a good combination in order to gain Meltzer's attention or something that Meltzer was kind of predisposed to like. But yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Like Osprey is still, is still very much in that in that in that group still. Where if someone said he's the best wrestler in the world, like I'm not gonna like bat an eye. 
and I said it when we did the top 50, is that you can say he shouldn't be doing these kind of matches, but if there's someone that had to go out there and have these longer matches with Shota Yumino and, oh, and Michael Oku and Ricky Knight Jr., I'm not sure anyone will be doing it better than Osprey other than, like, Brian Danielson. Sure, yeah, I could, uh... Hmm. I don't know if I can 100% co-sign that, but I I get where you're coming from. I'm, I'm sure. saying based off, based off what they're looking for in that kind of match. Like, they're looking for, yeah, like, yeah. you know, uh, the big star, and he's going to, like, be commanding and controlling and domineering and really, like, get that across. But this, and, and he has a level of star power, but also be super giving. And, like, you can say whatever you want about Osprey, but he's always bumped way more like at least in the, like since he's been a star he's bumped way more than he's had to for people continues to yeah. do so gives people way more than he has to do than he has to do in the ring so like that's what that's part of making a match like that matter even if osprey ultimately wins and you could call the match length masturbatory and all that kind of stuff it still relies on osprey's commit uh, commitment and dedication to like making sure the other person looks good in that match because like all this the length and all this stuff doesn't matter if people don't say the match is, match is good. Like, that's Not, that's, yeah. that's, that's the, ultimately what he's, like, aiming for there. And, like, we've seen Daniel Garcia versus Willa Yuta. We've seen, like, uh, Yuta, Yuta do these longer matches. So, like, he could probably make it work. But, like, in terms of what they're specifically asking for out of these less established guys like Ricky Knight Jr. and Oku and Shota Yumino... Yeah, I, I, I stand on that. I'm not sure that there's many people that could do what Osprey's doing if you had to do it. Ultimately, you say, <laughs> ultimately you should you you'd be saying, well, no, I don't want someone to do it, which I agree with. But in the event right. where someone has to, I feel like Osprey does it very well. Yeah, I mean, yes, he, there is a reason why people, like I said, like you said. And I reiterated, maybe even the timeline is shorter than you realize. Osprey is the best wrestler in the world. There are people who think that about him and go wild for every match that he has, including the aforementioned, you know, cage match that stunk on ice. Um, like, yes, the guy, he does something for certain people. He tickles the right part of their brain, and uh, and going long, going short, doing whatever, he can always, he can, he can do it in every setting. So I think that, yes, you're right when it comes to purely like that, like output and the certain people are going to be. And and even still, like something like this, like me and you, 40 minutes, not doesn't feel incredibly long. I mean, fuck, I, I, I've watched a ton of matches over the past couple of weeks that felt way longer than this, that were not, nowhere near it. Um, yeah. Including, uh, like I said, I wanted to talk about that Warrior show, Athena versus Thunder Rosa, thirty-minute time limit draw that felt like it oh, went at least God, three days. What? Yeah, no, thank Jesus you. Jesus Christ! It was fucking brutal. So yeah, I mean, Osprey goes forty minutes here, um, and much feels much quicker than that thirty-minute match. So yes, I agree with you in that. You were correct. If anyone has to do this, that's it. That said, when you were saying this is not even the best. And then you were said Osprey, you know, heel match I've seen, whatever. I thought you were going to say not even the best match on this show, which I would agree with because Luke Jacobs and Ricky Knight Jr., I actually thought I liked better than this. Oh, yeah. And I don't that's, know that, if you that watched was, that. that was, yeah, that was very good. You know, you know, yeah. you know I'm going to watch anything Luke Jacobs is in. And Luke Jacobs, there was a reason he was, oh, he was the, he was the member of Young Guns on my list. There's a reason why. Yeah. Well, this, and this stood out and I, and I did post this on Twitter where I said that Ricky Knight Jr. is how you do the knockoff Osprey thing. 
like instead of doing what what Nick Wayne does, you have Ricky Knight and like I said it you know on the tweet, but Ricky Knight actually feels like he's got this unpredictability and toughness of like just a fucking street hoodlum kind of guy who's tough and badass and a little bit more just has a little bit more yeah like a little bit of hard edge to him while also doing the flashy cocky osprey thing and i just think yeah like this is how you kind of do the knockoff osprey thing is you have to remember that part of what makes osprey great is that he's always had a little bit of danger in his stuff a little bit of you know wildness in his stuff even if his high flying is super smooth it always feels a little bit crazy and a little bit dangerous and i feel like nick wayne doesn't have any of that (laughs) nothing that nick wayne does feels dangerous and osprey at all times feels like even when he does the prettiest high-flying shit, sometimes it feels like anything could fucking happen in a moment and, like, something just fucking really bad could happen, you know? Yeah, there's still, there's, there's, always... there's still, like, feels like this kind of recklessness to Osprey's flying sometimes. Yeah, even if it looks super smooth, it seems fucking crazy. And, yeah, reckless is a great way to describe it. And I just think that uh, you don't get that from, from someone like Nick Wayne. So, yeah, Ricky Knight Jr. is the much better Osprey knockoff. And Luke Jacobs, as you said, definitely a guy worth checking out. Um... So yeah, that was uh, that was that. Um, I guess done for the night. Unless there's anything else you wanted to hit on this uh, on this very special short pod blast that we're doing this week. I think it's a little too long to be considered a pod blast, but um, yeah. Unless you want to talk about uh, unless you're gonna get real into uh, collecting physical copies of mangas, then uh, I think okay. we're I think, I think I think we're good here. <laughs> Okay, well, if you want to talk about Random Rita versus uh, Josh Barnett, um, I didn't see that talk, yet. I didn't see that I yet, but I, but I heard that, but heard that was really good. Yeah, really good. Josh Barnett. If Josh Barnett keeps this up in having like really solid matches on New Japan Strong, like once a month to every three weeks, he will end up in my top fifty wrestlers of the year for the first time in like five years, which is I, pretty I, cool. I, yeah, I know, I know, I know you're gonna. You're really hoping that really hoping that happens. Yeah, I want to have him back for the first time since like 2016. You know, in the in the top 50. Um, but yeah, that said, uh, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, this Defy show that uh, that happened uh, with the one where Nick Wayne got signed. Um, obviously, haven't seen it. Uh, what I want to say is, I want to see this Jonathan Gresham versus Cody Chun match. So if anyone uh, knows how to watch Defy matches, uh, let me know. Um, I know it'll probably get posted online at some point, but I have no fucking clue. I'll, there's also a trios match or a three-way match for the Impact X Division title that I want to see. But uh, yeah, if, in a, if anyone out there knows how to watch uh, Defy shows, because I have, I, I'm being honest, I have no idea. Uh, let me know. Um, I think they go on high spots. I think. I think sure. at some point they do, but I checked and high spots do- hasn't had anything from like a year ago. So I have hmm. no idea. So we'll see. Maybe they only <laughs> put it on their they are their own. They have like a private one. I like think... a defy only. Defy to come. Da, da. I feel like they... <laughs> Quentin, <laughs> we're not doing this on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, like, we're not doing anything. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay, okay. They do. They they have their own thing. Yeah. Six ninety nine a month. Jesus, what the no, fuck? I'm not paying six ninety nine a month for defy. <laughs> yeah, defy. <laughs> what do you think you are? Progress in 2014. <laughs> fucking kidding me. Get access to the defy library. I don't fucking care about the defy library. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There's like maybe three matches in there I want to see, including uh, one with uh, Dan Makabe versus um, the weirdo hero. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Either the, way, Quentin, the, the Defy has their own service for six nine for sixteen ninety nine. If you want to go watch Jesus that show Christ. badly. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that. Netflix is sending me emails about increasing my price to like nine ninety nine, and these motherfuckers want to charge sixteen ninety nine. 
No thanks, Matt Farmer. Even though you follow me on Twitter, this might be the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're good here. <laughs> I think we are. All right, Quentin. Um, oh yeah, I have to say I got my wisdom teeth. I told you before I got my wisdom teeth pulled like a month ago. So this is I had uh, I've had one and a half beers, and this is the first time I've drank in like a week. So that might be why I'm uh, spouting off a little bit here. All right, but um. Thank you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim on Twitter at Lone Dog's Wife. It's exactly how it sounds. You can listen to the top 50 wrestlers of the pandemic on the We Don't Know Wrestling Network podcast feed. And that's all I got for you guys this week. We'll be back next time and hopefully get there listening with us. Peace.